morning, our text um, is found in the book of Zechariah, the, uh, the fourth chapter. And I want, to, I want to jump right into the Scripture this morning um, as our foundation and then talk a little bit about not only today, but what we're going to be um, doing together for these next um, four weeks. But, uh, but I want to start here at Zechariah. This is um, found in your Old Testament. It's one of those books that's a little bit um, trickier sometimes to find. I always tell folks in the Bibles, don't ever be embarrassed to bookmark your table of contents. There's no shame in going to find some of these minor prophets and some of these books, especially um, some of the short ones, both in the Old and New Testament. That can be very tricky to find. Uh, or if you're electronic and you have it on your, your phone or your tablet, that's a little bit easier. But, uh, but Zechariah chapter 4, beginning at verse 6, and it begins with these words. So he said to me, and he speaks to the voice of the Lord. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of his, this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who dares despise the day of small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, speak now through your word, through your Holy Spirit. Challenge us, inspire us, motivate us, encourage us as we grow into the way of the one who calls us. And that is Jesus our Lord. It is in his name we pray. Amen. I mentioned last week, and I reiterate again today, that this morning begins a new series that will um, be for this day and then the, the next three weeks, a four-week sermon series. The title of the series is The Tipping Point. The subtitle is Little Things That Make a Big Difference. The Tipping Point, Little Things That Make a Big Difference. Now, in two, the, about the year 2000, Malcolm Gladwell, I don't know how many of you are familiar with Malcolm Gladwell, but he wrote a book by this very same title called The Tipping Point with maybe a word or two different, but it basically was subtitled the same, Little Things, Big Differences. Um, anybody read that book? Anybody? Okay, a couple of you. If you read that book, know this. This sermon series has nothing to do with that. Um, <laughs> only, because, only because I haven't read it. Maybe it does. I just saw the title of the book and thought, that's a cool title. I'm going to use that. And so I stole his title. But I've, I've applied it to some, th some other things that I've read and that I've wrestled with and that have challenged me on this idea of, of a tipping point, of little changes in our lives that, that make very, very big differences for us. Uh, because very often, that's, it's, it's the... It's the last little thing. It's the little things. I, you know, I think about that image we've seen in movies before where the car 
teeters on the, the edge, you know, and the car's just sitting there and it's rocking, and the, whoever's in the car thinks that it's finally balanced, and they finally um, survive disaster, and as it teeters there, a little bird lands on the hood, and the whole thing goes down. You know, it's that kind of tipping point. It's that idea that, that it is, it is those, those small things that we see that can lead to really significant changes and growth in our lives. And it seems appropriate, still relatively new into the year, that this would be our sermon series because we're still in a very optimistic time of the year. With, with January 1st comes resolutions and, and commitments and promises to ourselves to, to be better. Isn't, isn't that what, what, what we all want in some way? I mean, is there any of us here that say that there's not some part of your life, some, some aspect of your life that you don't want to be better in? whether it be your relationships, whether it be in your physical health, whether it be in your, your walk with Jesus, that there's not something in your life that you wish to be better in. And, and you know, January 1st and our resolutions and, and our commitments because the calendar kind of gives us an opportunity. It's interesting, the calendar, and we can do that. We can improve ourselves at any time. It's not like January 1st is the magic day we have to start. But you never really see anybody around Thanksgiving say, you know, this would be a good time to start a diet. Let's get healthy. <laughs> We don't do that. You know, we get through the holidays, and then we, we try to undo the damage that we do, we do to ourselves. But that desire to, to be better. And most likely in your life, as in mine, you have people that, that you've come across or are in your circle of relationships that, um, that you admire. Maybe even if we're honest, maybe you envy a little bit because they seem to have their life together in areas you wish that you did. They have their life together in areas that I wish that I did. Well, here's what I want to say to you. First of all, this is not about comparing ourselves with anybody else. This series is not about trying to measure up to somebody else's standard. But it is about saying that on our path of, of growth, maturity, living into our potential, here's a significant truth, I think, for all of us. And this may be the underlying truth of the entire series. That in our lives and in the lives of others, that it is very often the things that nobody else sees that lead to the things that everybody wants. It's the practices, the habits that nobody sees that leads to the behaviors, the qualities, the characteristics that everybody wants. Let me tell you what I mean. A few years ago, I um, became friends with, with a man uh, named Rick. He's a pastor. And the first time as I got to know Rick, I was actually in a small group with him. And um, as, as we were in this small group setting, getting to know each other, there's about 10 people in this group, and, and everybody was sharing about their lives, their ministries, their challenges. And it became so powerfully obvious how deeply rooted in the scriptures Rick was. And what I mean by that is that no matter what somebody shared, he had this ability to connect their story, their challenge to the scriptures and, and offer word of hope and encouragement, um, word of um, advice even through the scriptures. When I say that he connected it to the scriptures, I don't mean that he was showing off. I don't, he, wasn't, he wasn't trying to demonstrate how much he knew. But no matter what people shared, he could connect it to something from the Old Testament, to a story from the New Testament, to the teachings of Jesus. It was amazing 
how deeply rooted in the scriptures and how just, I mean, it was just so clearly part of his very being. And uh, I, I was both impressed and intimidated by it because I thought, man, I, I'm not a fraction of that connected to the scriptures as he is. And, uh, and as I got to know him, I got to learn that one of Rick's practices every year, every year, he reads from Genesis to Revelation. Every year he reads, reads through the entire Bible. For 20 years he has done that. And I thought, man, that's crazy. I know, I know I'm supposed to be the model of spirituality up here, but I'm thinking, I ain't got that much time to read Genesis to Revelation in one year every single year. Now, that's more time than I got to give because I'm so busy. Um, and, uh, and in one of the conversations, he's like, no, you overestimate it. He said, 15 minutes a day. He said, 15 minutes a day. That's all it takes. And I'm through Genesis to Revelation every year. And to me, I see this big thing of this man that is so deeply rooted in the scriptures and the stories of faith. And yet it's that small, significant, now I don't mean small by insignificant, but that small practice of 15 minutes a day that leads to that greatness that I ascribe to this man. Another example, kind of diverging from the spiritual side of things, um, I, I, I confess I have a little penance to do today because last week in the message, if you were here, when I talked about my youngest brother David trying to find a name for their, for their son that's due to be born in a few weeks, I threw my other brother Brian, I threw him right under the bus. And uh, if you were here, you might remember I kind of I kind of made him the scapegoat, and, and I got a lot of flack for that this week. So I am confessing my sin, and um, I'm telling this story to make myself feel better about it. Um, but, but Brian, um, in, in our household, all of us were into sports. We're all of athletes. But I, I say very honestly, Brian was the best athlete among us. And um, he was a phenomenal basketball player in high school, phenomenal baseball player. And when he graduated the high school that we attended, uh, he graduated with the, um, with the all-time scoring record. He had more points as a basketball player than any player before him, and he held that record for about 20 years. Well, maybe not 20, but until a few years ago. And um, one Saturday, I think it was during Brian's senior year, the JV team, Brian was on varsity, obviously, the JV team was practicing on a Saturday morning, and uh, they got done, and so they cleared the basketball court, and the coach pulled them off to the side, and his you know, doing the coach, you know, the end of practice pep talk kind of thing. And in the middle of that, he stopped him and he said, he said, guys, he said, um, who's the best player on the varsity team? Who's the best basketball player? And they said, Brian is. He said, all right, turn around. And when they turned around, there in an empty gym on a Saturday morning by himself was Brian shooting baskets. Shoot, rebound, dribble, shoot, rebound, dribble. You know the repetition, you know the practice. And the point he was making is that the 25 points he scores and the, the things you see at game time, that stuff is possible because of the little things that he does when nobody's looking, when nobody's paying attention. It's the little practices in our lives. We could go on and on. I, I've, I've shared this morning, you know, I, Tony and I have a lot of fun with each other. Um, and we have a lot of fun at each other's expense, good natured. You know, I give her, I tease her up here, and, and when she gets a shot, she gives it right back. Uh, understand, and I don't say this with a sense of arrogance, Tony and I have got a wonderful marriage. 
we have a blessed marriage. Not perfect, not without the challenges, not without our moments, but we have a, a wonderful marriage and a love for each other. Part of our habit, part of our practice, every night, every night. In fact, I said to her last night, I said, Tony, can you think of one night in which what I'm about to say didn't happen? And she couldn't think of one and I couldn't. Every night before we go to bed, we tell each other that we love each other. Every night. Now, sometimes we say it through gritted teeth. <laughs> it's happened. It's happened. Sometimes, sometimes we say it and we're not feeling it because we've been married almost 20 years and that happens from time to time. But those words remind us of something. One, that, that our love isn't contingent upon warm fuzzies. That our love is a commitment that we've made to each other and that we've made to God, that we're going to work through it even when we're gritting it through our teeth sometimes, even when we're not happy. The biggest challenge in our marriage, and Tony will tell you, the biggest challenge is that she's married to me. And I make that hard sometimes. But we commit. It's, it's the little things that do matter. It's not just words. It's not just repetition. It matters. There's a lot of areas in our lives that God reminds us that it is the little things that we're called to that have a big impact on who we become and the fullness and the faithfulness of which we live into the gifting that he has given to us. And so with that, I go back to our scripture this morning. These few verses in Zechariah chapter 4 that are spoken in the time shortly after what I have shared with you in the past was the Babylonian exile. That time of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, if you're familiar with some of those Old Testament characters, Jeremiah, when um, Nebuchadnezzar had overthrown Israel and taken the Israelites into captivity. And for many years, many lived in Babylon. Well, when they were finally freed, when they were finally allowed to return, Zerubbabel, who's our, our main uh, character in this, Zerubbabel leads a group back to Jerusalem, back into their homeland, into their promised land. And about 18 years after that return, we encountered this part of the story. And what God does is he speaks to Zerubbabel, and he basically says to him, here is your charge. You are going to rebuild the temple. You are going to be the instrument I am going to use to rebuild the temple. Now, understand how significant that was to the people. The temple was the center of their worship. The temple was where God dwelt. It was this majestic um, center of worship that Solomon had built, and it had been destroyed. And that took a toll on the people and their understanding, their own identity in, in their faith. And God says, you, Zerubbabel, you are going to be the one to rebuild it. And you might think because Zerubbabel was so gifted and so wonderful and so talented, and I'm sure he was all of those things. But God establishes right at the beginning the power behind this mag majestic calling when he says this. Verse 6, this is the word of the Lord, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. God says to Zerubbabel, you are going to be the instrument, but make no mistake about it, I'm going to be the power behind it. You are going to be the hands, but, but I'm going to be the catalyst. 
if you will. And he's basically saying, this is to my glory. I'm going to be the strength that you're going to rely on. I mean, how many of us in our lives and in our, our journey, how often do we learn how essential it is for us to, to find strength outside of ourselves? To learn how to depend upon the strength of others, but more importantly in our walk in faith, to learn how to depend on the strength of the Lord. Paul says that in my weakness, I found, I learned, the Lord spoke to me and said, that's when my perfect, or when my strength is most, most perfect. And, and we learn, and I don't think it takes a lot of time on this earth to learn that we must depend upon the strength of others because there are times our strength alone isn't enough. Not that our strength and our gifting doesn't matter, but God says to us, as he did to Sarah Babel, my spirit is at work within you. Your accomplishments, the potential, the possibilities within you are most fully realized by my strength. It was a kind of a silly, simplistic example that I thought of, but it came to my mind this week as I was working on the sermon, and it came from a couple summers ago when I was away in Kentucky for the month. And uh, I got a phone call one night from Tony and, um, you know, when you are either in a friendship for a long enough time or a marriage for a number of years, you learn to know by voice inflection the nature of the phone call you are about to receive. And this voice inflection said to me from hundreds of miles away, you are in trouble, which is a gift I have to get in trouble from hundreds of miles away. And what it, it was just one of those times where both kids were sick, Tony was sick, I wasn't around to help at all, so she kind of was having to deal with everything. And on top of all of that, on this particular evening, just prior to the phone call, our entire closet had collapsed. Boom. All the shelving came crashing down. Now, in and of itself, that is not a crisis situation. But you know how little things add up, and it had added up, and I knew Tony was kind of at wit's end, and, and so I just kind of talked to her, encouraged her to hold on. I said, just, I said to her, I said, here's the deal. Just leave everything on the floor. I will take care of it when I get home. I will fix it. Now, that in of itself is quite a statement of faith <laughs> because those of you know, I am not Bob Vila, all right? I'm not the guy you're calling for home improvement projects. I put a new toilet seat on the toilet the other day, and I was proud of that, okay? So this is, this is not necessarily my um, area of expertise. But uh, I came home, and um, we, we got about redoing the shelving in the closet. And we did do it. Together we did it. But uh, in a very obvious lesson, but, but very, very simple, as we were putting these new shelves up, we were able to drive most of the screws into the studs just by hand. It just wasn't that hard. And so we'd put them and we'd screw them in and we'd make sure everything was lined up. We got to one section. It's always toward the end. And this is the way it always happens. No matter how hard I tried, I could not get that screw to, to go flush. I mean, it hit about halfway. I don't know what the problem was behind the wall, whether it was something in the studs. I don't know. But all I know is I wasn't strong enough to move it an inch. And I thought, there's no way we're abandoning this project now. So I did the obvious, the thing most of you said that you should have done to begin with. I got my hands on a drill. And when you put that extra power in my hand, that screw went in with no problem. I didn't have the power to do that. 
but there was a power that could. Now, that's a silly story about a drill and electronics that most of you go, duh. But it's an object lesson. It reminds us that God says to us, there's a power at your disposal at, that, that is offered to you that makes so much more possible because it's a power far beyond you. That's my power. That's the power of Christ that is at work, that is offered to us in faith. That's what God says to Zerubbabel. You're going to do great things, but you're doing it because of my power that's at work within you. And so we need to hear that as we begin to be challenged. But here's the other thing that we need to hear. That the foundation on which God would build this temple, that God would use Zerubbabel, was the foundation of very simple things. And here's what I mean. In verse 8 it says, The the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of the temple. His hands will also complete it. If you go back and you kind of do a little study here, what you learn is that in the years that, that Zerubbabel had been back in Israel, they had already started to build the foundation of the temple. If you go back and you read in Ezra, you can read some of the account of them already starting to lay the foundation. God's saying, you've already started the foundation. I'm going to bring it to completion. But you started to do the little things that are necessary. Now, here's what's interesting. that In Ezra chapter 3, it says that when they started to rebuild the foundation of the temple, the people rejoiced. They celebrated because this was really, really important. But there were a group of priests and Levites that when they saw the foundation, the Scripture says they wept. They wept. Now, biblical scholars talk about why were they weeping. And some surmise it was because they were so happy. They were so overjoyed that the temple was being rebuilt. But it's interesting that Ezra says that those who wept were those who had seen the previous temple. They had seen the glory of Solomon's temple. They'd seen the grandeur of what used to stand there. And many biblical scholars, they say they wept, believe they wept, because they realized how this paled in comparison. How simple and insignificant and unimpressive this was compared to what had been there. How many times in our lives do we seek growth? Do we seek change? Do we seek to become better? And our advancement seems so insignificant. It just doesn't seem like we're getting anywhere. We're trying. We're doing our best. We're, we're instilling the habits and practices, we th- and we just don't seem to be getting anywhere. Well, I think that's what it may have felt like. This foundation is nothing. God says in these little things, in fact, he says in verse 10, who dares despise the day of small things. He says, on to this foundation which you have stepped into, onto these stones that you have already laid, these small things that people would say will be the foundation of the great things that I'm going to do. Small things matter. The small things matter. I mean, how many of us look at giants of the faith like David with a story that we learned in Sunday school? David, who stepped onto the battlefield in faith, who trusted in the Lord, and he slayed a giant with a sling and a stone. And we think, that's the kind of faith I want. That's who I want to be. I want to do great things like David did. We forget that where did David's foundation get built? Tending sheep in a field, scaring off wolves and bears and lions or whatever that would threaten the safety. He was faithful in the little things 
The things that wouldn't gather any attention wouldn't impress anybody, but it became the foundation for what God was going to do. Or Daniel, who stood in the lion's den with the faith of God that God would shut the, mouth, the mouths of those lions. Trusted God no matter what was going to happen. We think, I want faith like Daniel had. We forget the foundation of Daniel. What does the Scripture say that prior to that, every day, three times a day, he was on his knees in prayer? Not before crowds, not for adulation, not to be recognized, but to be faithful. It is the little things that God uses to build the foundation for the great things that he wishes to do. The little things that no one sees that leads to the great things everybody wants. Many of you are familiar with John Wooden, the legendary basketball coach of the uh, UCLA Bruins that led his team to 10 national championships, won seven consecutive national champions, considered by most to be the second greatest college basketball coach of all time, um, <laughs> after Coach K, of course. Um, but uh, I don't know how many of you know the first thing he taught his players when he became coach of UCLA. Anybody know the first lesson he gave them? He writes in his book that he took them into the locker room and he taught them how to put on their socks. He taught college students how to put on their socks because he said it was important that they learned how to wear them right so they would not get blisters. And he said it's little things that lead to big things. Little things that lead to big things. Didn't teach them how to pass, didn't teach them how to shoot, didn't teach them how to run plays. He taught them how to put on their socks foundations in which the fullness of who we can be is built. And so for these next few weeks, we're going to talk about some of those little things. And again, when I say little things, I don't mean insignificant, but the things that no one sees. We're going to talk about in these weeks to come our thoughts, how important they are. We're going to talk about our words and the life that God allows us to that breathe into the words and the things that we say. And, and we're going to talk about our habits, each of these that become the foundation to the things that God does and desires to do in our lives, to build whatever it is he's called us to build in who we are and, and in how we serve and love others. But I want to give you a homework assignment before we leave. Before we close today, I want to give you a homework assignment. There's... Word studies that have been done through the scriptures on the phrase one thing. Now, there's places in the scriptures we, we know that um, God calls us to kind of focus in, to zero in, to, to isolate, if you will. For instance, David in Psalm 27 says, One thing I desire, one thing that I desire, that I would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Very similar to what he says in the 23rd Psalm. One thing. Paul says, Paul, who, who had become a, a champion of the faith, but had suffered greatly for the faith, had been imprisoned, been stoned, been beaten, been exiled. Paul says, one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I press on. I push forward to the higher calling of God in Jesus Christ. One thing. Remember Jesus when he went to the home of Mary and Martha, if you remember that story in the Gospels. Martha was the homemaker. 
Martha was the host. She was excited to have Jesus in her home, so she wanted everything to be perfect. She wanted to make sure all the best silverware was out, everything was clean, the, the house was prepared, the food was being served, she, and she was busy doing all of that. And she became angry because her sister Mary wasn't helping. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus says, Martha, Martha, she has chosen the one thing that matters most, and it won't be taken from her. She's chosen the better thing. It's the one thing that really matters. And then again, a, a rich young ruler, the scripture that came to Jesus and said, how do I attain eternal life? And after he listed off all the things he'd done faithfully, Jesus said, there's just one thing you lack. Sell everything you have. Give to the poor and follow me. Focus in. And we know he couldn't do that. There's time God calls us to one thing. Not always the same thing, but he speaks into us a word of focus. And my, my challenge, my homework assignment, is for you to begin to seek your focus this week. To begin to seek the word, the one word that can begin to become a catalyst of forward progress for you in this season to come, this year to come. And I'm not talking about a, a New Year's resolution. I'm talking about something that can, be, can, can undergird that, can feed that. Let me give you mine, because I have a head start on you, because I started working on this weeks ago. And the word that has come to my mind over and over again, the word that has become my word, is momentum. Momentum has become my word, because there are areas in my life that I recognize that I have momentum and I need to continue it. I need to maintain in the practices and disciplines. And there's some areas in my life that I have no momentum right now, that things are at a standstill. Of, of, of being and, and becoming better, if you will, and becoming more faithful that I need to get the ball rolling because I know how important momentum is. You know, once you get it going, it sustains itself. But boy, when things come to a crashing halt, it takes like Atlas, and it Atlas that had to push up the, 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 the stone up the mountain. I mean, it feels like that. And so momentum in the life of the church, I think that's a word that it has begun to frame my ministry in this year to come. I've been pastor here for five years, and I've been many of your pastor for five years here. And we've had a wonderful, a lot of wonderful things God has done. We have a lot of wonderful momentum that we need to be prayerful to continue in ministry. And then there's some areas of ministry that God's called us. We've got no momentum yet, and we've got to get it going. So momentum has become my word, and I've attached it to Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, which says this. Paul says to the church, he says, Don't grow weary in doing what is good. For in time you will reap a bountiful harvest if you don't give up. Don't grow weary in doing what is good, but in time you will reap a bountiful harvest if you don't give up. Keep moving. Now, he's specifically talking to the church, and they're called to serve and to love others. And I've appropriated that in a lot of areas of my life. But those words, don't give up. Momentum has become my word. Your homework assignment is to find yours, to prayerfully consider the word. It could be faithfulness. It could be discipline. It could be obedience. It could be relationships. It could be stop. Some of you, God's speaking that in your life right now. Stop. There are things in your life you need to hear that. There's no end to what it could be. My challenge is to prayerfully find it and then link it to a scripture. And you think, well, how am I going to do that? I don't know the Bible that well. Well, let me tell you, there's this wonderful little tool called Google. Go to it. 
And if your word is faithful, type scriptures about faithfulness. You will have no shortage of verses. You will have no shortage, whatever it is. But attach it because it allows us to start to hear God moving us in the simple things. This is not earth-shattering stuff. It's the simple. It's the little things. It's the foundational things that begin to connect us to the power of God that works and calls and challenges us forward in faith and in ministry and in health and in wellness in every aspect of our lives. So hear the challenge. I believe that Zerubbabel got his word that day by my spirit. And over and over, I can imagine when he got up in the morning to place that next stone, the next part of the foundation to build the next level of that temple, he heard those words, by my spirit. What word is God speaking to you? Listen for it. Listen for it and allow the foundation to be built in which God desires to do great things through you, through me, and through us. Friends, let us pray. Lord God, help us to hear today, not just today, in the days to come, to take seriously the challenge that you speak into our lives, to be faithful in the small things. Your word says to us that when we are faithful in small things, you entrust us with so much more and become the foundation for which you build. And we are reminded that the power at work within us is greater than our power, it's greater than our strength because it comes from your Holy Spirit. Move us in obedience. Move us in faithfulness. Move us in service. Move us in love that we would grow into the people that you have called us to be. We pray in Christ our Lord. Amen.